Before we get started, I need to give you a quick warning. <laughs> this conversation is going to bring into the light a lot of common problems that women have with their pelvic floor, but it's definitely not one that you want blasting from the speakers of your minivan while you're carpooling all the neighborhood kids to school. <laughs> so stick your headphones in for this one, okay? But let me just say, this might be one of my most favorite episodes yet. I am with Sarah Reardon today, otherwise known as the Vagina Whisperer, and if you already follow her on social media, you know that she has a knack for making a very taboo and sometimes embarrassing topic super lighthearted and normal. Sarah, she is a board-certified pelvic floor physical therapist, and today we're talking all things pelvic floor. She has over 15 years experience helping women with their pelvic floor issues, particularly surrounding things like painful intercourse, pregnancy and postpartum recovery, and staying dry and pain-free in our later years. Super helpful. I ask her some pretty tough questions and have her explain a bunch of things for you, including how and when to do Kegels, the proper way to go to the bathroom, what pain might be telling you, and so much more. And yes, we actually talk about pooping for a while. <laughs> this was a really fun conversation that I can't wait to share with you. And by the way, I hope you can agree with me that it is so important to make this topic a lot less taboo and embarrassing. So if you think so too, I would love it if you could just share this episode with your girlfriends and, and that's going to help out that cause. Okay. All right. Without further ado, here's Sarah, the Vagina Whisperer. Hey friend, my name is Megan Dahlman. As a certified trainer and nutrition coach, I'm on a mission to change the conversation around fitness, nutrition, and taking care of ourselves as moms. If you're tired of restrictive fad diets and all or nothing workouts, in a culture that tries to sell you the lie that your value is tied to the number on the scale, then you're in the right place. I'm here to equip and encourage you to take simple steps towards the healthy life you want for yourself and the people you love. Welcome to Self-Care Simplified. Well, hey, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I had to laugh because I was telling my husband about our interview today that I was going to be talking to the vagina whisperer. And he was like, does that need a lot of maintenance or something? And I'm like, oh my gosh, you have no idea. And I think he just like rolled his eyes and went outside and like climbed on his tractor or something like that. That's great. I mean, I get questions from my kids. My nephew the other day was like, isn't that, isn't the vagina whisperer that name's kind of inappropriate? And I was like, you're not wrong, but also <laughs> we're trying to change that buddy, you know? So I get it. There are a lot of women out here right now that are helping to take, remove the taboo. And I feel like you are doing a very particularly good job of it. And if anybody is not following you on Instagram right now for the costume alone, <laughs> it's worth the follow. It cracks me up. I think one of my favorites was like in the shower. <laughs> Yes, it's, um, you know, I got that costume. So I started my Instagram account, the vagina whisper five years ago when I was pregnant with my second son. And it was really just for my group of friends because we were all pregnant and going through postpartum. And I found myself writing the same email over and over to them about what to do and how to recover. And so I said, let me just put this out there so they can have it whenever they have their babies and we can all refer back to it. And they're the ones that called me the vagina whisperer. So I really credit them for coming up 
with the name. And then over the past several years, it's really just grown and exploded. And I think that the growth is really just a testament to how many people want this information. I agree a hundred percent because I feel like anytime we bring a subject to light that we suddenly realize like, oh my gosh, you too, you, you deal with this too. And you deal with this too. I, I, I feel like it is so valuable and helpful because it just, we all realize like, okay, we all need this information. This is not something we should be embarrassed about. Right. I absolutely agree. And I think one of, you know, being in a clinical practice where I see patients anywhere from 10 to 40 patients a week over the course of my career, it's varied, but I really had the luxury of working with so many people who have these issues. So to me, I see how common it is. And I also see how isolating it can feel to be experiencing these things. And so it's kind of just normal conversation for me day to day, but other people don't realize that there are so many other individuals who also experience pelvic floor problems. Well, and I think the wide span of pelvic floor problems too. I feel like we have this idea of like, well, if I have a pelvic floor problem it must mean that I'm like peeing my pants. Right. And we're going to get into that. I'm super excited, but like, there's so much more and, and there might be a lot of women listening that might not realize they do have a pelvic floor issue. It's just not what they thought it would be. Right. I'm excited to cover that. And I think, you know, historically we used to think, oh, it's only older ladies when they pee their pants. And now we start thinking, well, is it just pregnancy and postpartum? Can you have pelvic floor issues if you've never had kids? And it's really all across the lifespan of a woman, all seasons of a, a woman's life, there can be issues that arise. I'm thinking back to my own story. I'm realizing I used to think it was just an old woman issue. And I remember the first time I went running after my first baby, right? Nobody told me about pelvic floor issues. I went running. I, I did my due diligence. You know, I know so much more now, but I did my due diligence of like waiting six weeks. And then I went out for a run. I was like, what is what's happening right now? I was so thankful. I had black pants on, right? So I was literally peeing my pants and there was no way to stop it. I'm like, I just went to the bathroom and I was so embarrassed and shocked and wondering what was wrong with my body. And I just wished that someone had taught me this stuff back then. And I can imagine, you know, I could go back and like change so many things, but I can imagine being a pelvic floor PT has affected your own births and postpartum stories and life as a mom, because man, it's so helpful to have this knowledge sitting there. So I would love it if you could share what that looks like in your own life. Absolutely. So I went to college and then after college, I went to physical therapy school, which is a post graduate degree. And I thought I was going to become like a sports physical therapist and work with the New Orleans Saints football team. And, you know, my last year of physical therapy school, I had a professor who specialized in back then it was called women's health and not pelvic health. But I was like, oh, this is really interesting to just learn more about my own body. And, you know, I went and did a clinical rotation and started working um, with some pelvic floor patients. And I was like, oh, this is just like working with any other part of your body. It's like working with a neck or a shoulder or an ankle. And it, so it wasn't weird to me, but I could see how it was weird. It felt kind of weird to other people, but I found it fascinating, not only for myself, but I also found it incredibly rewarding to work with people who didn't know there was help for these really intimate issues that were affecting their quality of life. And so I think the combination of learning more about my own body, 
feeling really grateful that I had this information and feeling like everyone should have access to this information, but also just being able to help people with something that's so intimate and so personal, but there's so much help for, and they just didn't even realize it was out there. So um, that was 15 years ago. I've been in this field. I feel like a dinosaur now in the pelvic floor (laughs) therapy field. But, you know, when it came to having my own children, my pregnancies were uncomfortable. I wasn't someone who loved pregnancy, but my births went really well. And some of it's luck, but I do think that some of it was just my knowledge and training. So I felt like it was really helpful to have this information, not only for myself, um, but also to help the patients who really needed this information. And when it came to my own pregnancies and births, I, I didn't love pregnancy. I wasn't someone who thought it was the greatest thing, but it was fine. It was uncomplicated, but I did have two really wonderful births unmedicated with minimal tearing or no tearing. And my recoveries were really good. And I just felt like the training that I had with some luck helped me have a really good experience. And I just felt like, gosh, more people could have this experience. They just don't even realize it or have the tools to help facilitate it. I appreciate that you said that so much. Cause I think that there's this part in our brain that's like, it is, it's all luck you know, like, well, it it really comes down to the luck of the draw. Am I going to get this card of like, am I going to be the one that's going to have to have like the fourth, fourth degree tear or, you know, terrible recovery and dealing with pelvic floor issues forever. And ha ha ha, we're all moms and we all pee our pants kind of a thing. And we laugh it off. Like that's just part of being a mom, but like, wow, to know, like, that's not really the case. That's not normal. It's not right. So, right. And I do think some of it, I mean, I can't say that, you know, if everybody did exactly what I did, they would have the same outcome because my medical provider, my genetics, the timing, Mm -hmm. I mean, some things do are out of our hands, but I do think that there is something really powerful about feeling, going into a situation, feeling like I did everything I could to have the best possible outcome. Now, if something happens, that's unexpected, you know, or whatever the case, there's nothing more I could have done. But I often find that people who have a difficult birth or a negative birth experience, afterwards they feel like, I didn't know that you could even do physical therapy, or I wish I would have known that sooner. And I think that's really what we want to try to change. A hundred percent. And it is interesting because I was talking about this with my mom and she's actually been doing your uh, pelvic floor program and she loves it. Oh, um, great. But she's like, Megan, did you know about this? I'm like, mom. <laughs> she's like, I didn't know that you could do pelvic floor PT. She's like, we got to tell everybody. We have to tell everybody about this. I'm like, we do. We're working on it. We're trying to get the word out. So that's great. He was actually really excited that I was oh, chatting. I love that. And, and we are working on it. And it, um, you know, it really warms my heart to hear that because I created this kind of strengthening postpartum program because I thought, you know, we shouldn't have to be like super high intense athletes to do pelvic floor strengthening. I mean, I'm a busy oh. mom and And I just want to do a little yoga or, you know, ride my Peloton, but I also have a mother who may have pelvic floor issues and I want this to be accessible to her. And she has, you know, different of different fitness levels. So I really created, it's very specific, but it is just kind of pelvic floor and core strengthening and teaching us to, you know, how to use these muscles that we've never really been taught to use. Well, I love that. It's so much more than just like do some Kegels. <laughs> like when I was pregnant and this was not that long ago, I mean, with my oldest, he's 11. So 11 years ago, I was, I was working in a PT office alongside a women's health PT. And I asked her, cause I was like, I'm, what should I do? You know? Cause I didn't know exactly. She's like, well, you should do some Kegels every day. And then like walked away. And I'm like, 
okay, okay, I'll do that. Sure. I didn't know how to do a Kegel properly. You know, I just thought it was like, Hey, we're just going to like squeeze a tampon here all day long or whatever. (laughs) Right. And you're not alone. I mean, that's, that's so common. And what's so funny is that in in the research, there's been a handful of studies that have been done that, you know, if we just kind of tell someone do Kegels or hand them a brochure to do Kegels, almost half of those people are not going to be doing them correctly. So it's almost like saying, oh, you have back pain, do a bunch of crunches. I'm like, that's not how we treat things in our country. So why would this be any different? So um, I, again, it is so much more than Kegels. And, you know, I encourage people, if you are going to a physical therapist and that's kind of all they prescribe or they don't do an internal assessment, I would really seek someone who has a little bit more depth and can be a little bit more specific to your case. hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in any situation, you know, like that's the trick with, um, especially this world of online courses and, you know, I'm raising my hand because I do provide a lot of online courses, but there is, uh, an element of like, okay, I might need a little bit more individualized approach here. And I think it's helpful to, to understand when, when to do that. And we're going to get there in a minute, but I, I just want to know when did that light bulb moment go off for you when you're like, realizing that you're literally like, quote unquote, sitting on a gold mine. I, I can, I feel like I can joke around about this with you because you have such a, a great way of keeping this topic so light, but, um, you've been sitting on this gold mine of information. Obviously you're an expert in this area, but you didn't, there had to have been a moment where that light bulb went off and you're like, Oh my gosh, there's an opportunity here to help a lot of women. Mm -hmm. and build this platform, right? Right. It's been so organic. I mean, again, I, I'm no different than anyone else. I look around at all of the amazing things that other women and entrepreneurs are doing. And I think, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough and I should be doing more and it's not moving fast enough. And so I'm so hard on myself. Um, But then I, I, you know, I don't know if the light bulb ever went off like in one switch. I think it was really kind of over time, the response from people saying like, Hey, thank you so much for sharing this. I really needed it. I mean, it's not, it's these little bits of these DMS. I get like, I just watched your video on how to poop after giving birth. Thank you. It saved me. (laughs) Or thank you for talking about these issues that nobody talks about. So it's, it's really been cumulative. It's really been organic. And I think when you're really passionate about something, it feels like it just kind of keeps going and going. And you're like, this feels like what I should be doing. And again, I was lucky enough to pick this, this specialty right out of graduate school 15 years ago. And so, um, it's kind of this, the bulb has just been slowly burning and it's just brighter now than it was, but it's always kind of been there. Do you feel like there, um, the industry has changed very much? I mean, since when you started 15 years ago, um, has the landscape of pelvic health changed? It's a great question. And I think absolutely. Well, 15 years ago, when I used to tell people what I did, they were like, oh, that's, that's sounds weird. You, you do what? <laughs> and they would like scoot over two chairs. And <laughs> now when I tell them what I do, they're like, oh, hey, can we talk later? You know, yeah. so oh, yeah. it's definitely changed. Um, and I think that it's been one, you know, with myself, you know, aging and becoming a mom and I think that I realized the need for this, you know, we go through life stages and seasons like, you know, pregnancy and birth, which are huge transformations. And, you know, that is a little bit more of a light bulb that goes off that says, wow, we need this. And I have all of this information and it's still really hard. What about everybody else who doesn't? And then the other thing is social media has changed everything. It's changed how we access information. It's, 
you know, I think people are going to social media to get childbirth education and postpartum recovery tips because where else do we get them? We don't at all. It's, you know, maybe a two hour of antiquated childbirth class in a hospital setting, which isn't really relevant anymore. So I think that social media is really you know, transformed how we as therapists can share this information, but also how patients and just people in the community can receive it. I totally agree. I think that I think back to my like own birthing classes and even nursing classes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, seriously, we barely brushed the surface. There was so much that I had to throw out the window in the first 10 minutes of labor. <laughs> you know, uh, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like this is not going anything like how I expected, you know? And so right. that's the benefit too. I see of social media is that we can pull from so many, um, voices, which is tricky too. You know, we got to wade through right. some of the, some of the fluff, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's helpful. Okay. I want to get into the good stuff here. Okay. All so right. Let, let's dive in. Okay. So this is a big question and we could, we could break this down, but what are some of the top tips that you wish every woman knew about her pelvic floor? Okay. I'm cutting in here for just a second because I have something super important that I want to share with you. But before I do, I want you to know that 0% of moms on this planet bounce back quickly from pregnancy and childbirth. Okay. But another thing to know is that 100% of moms that have been pregnant experience abdominal separation or diastasis recti, whether you realize it or not. It's just how God designed our bodies to handle a growing baby. But it does not mean that your body is now broken or that you did something wrong to cause it, all right? Looking back, I really wish someone had told me all this and taught me more about my postpartum body. I made a bunch of mistakes back then that I have since been able to correct. So don't worry, it's not too late for you either, even if it's been a while. All right, so I wanted to share that I have a free resource for you that will walk you through all of it. I'm gonna tell you exactly what mistakes I made postpartum so that you don't make them too. I'll teach you how to know if you have diastasis recti. And yes, it can still be years later and it's still fixable. I'll teach you the exercises to avoid, plus how to start healing your core properly. I'm also gonna add in some extra bonus tips that really, really help. So if you feel like your core and tummy area is a bit of a functional mess right now, head to vigeofit.com slash mommy tummy guide, all right? Or there's a link in the show notes and you can download the entire thing now for free. That's vigeofit.com slash mommy tummy guide or the link in the show notes to download it now. Seriously, it's really going to help you out. This is a great question. And I've kind of, you know, thought about this over, asked me like, what do I need to know? And it's almost the basics that I feel like we could educate children on. And it just becomes part of our natural, you know, pelvic health education across life. And it's the basics of like how to pee. When you pee, you shouldn't push. You should just sit mm -hmm. and chill and breathe and not strain or push when you pee. Or I call it power peeing. And you should, again, sit. Hovering over a toilet is not ideal. If it's a really stinky bathroom or a porta potty, <laughs> a porta -potty at a festival, then maybe it's okay. Um, I've done that myself. But, you know, ultimately, you want to try to sit and relax to help your pelvic floor muscles 
um, open up so that your bladder can push the urine out. So not straining when you pee and sitting when you pee and also going pee when you have the urge to go. If you are Mm -hmm. going, my mom does this, she goes every time she passes a bathroom or every time she leaves somewhere and every time she gets somewhere. And that really can train your bladder to just feel like it has to empty all the time, which is not the case. What's normal to empty your bladder is every two to four hours during the day. So if you're not going often enough or you're going too often, you want to try to work a little bit more in that two or four hour range. The other thing is how to poop. So um, poop is, I don't know why, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. Maybe because I have (laughs) two boys who are like, all they want to talk about is poop. But it's just such, it's something we all do. And if it's not working well, it literally can make or break your day. So I am a huge fan of using a little stool under your feet. Um, okay. The common one's called the squatty potty. Mm-hmm. And using a stool under your feet puts you in more of a squatting position when you're sitting on the toilet. And squatting is the best position to relax your pelvic floor. So if you think about if you're out in nature or you're in Asia or you know you would squat to go to the bathroom because it's kind of the physiological way to empty. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing with giving birth. You know, Often our knees are kind of back if you're having a vaginal birth, your legs are pulled up because your knees are in a, and your hips are in a squatting position that helps relax your pelvic floor. So using a squatty potty, not straining, you know, exhaling and breathing out instead of holding your breath when you poop. And then, you know, making sure that you're staying hydrated, eating well, you know, things like that, just because if you are constipated, it can affect your bladder, it can affect your pelvic floor, all the things. Um, And then the last thing is really that pain is not normal. I think sometimes there are seasons in our lives where we feel like, oh, this is supposed to hurt. Maybe your your first pelvic examination, your first time inserting a tampon, your first attempt at sexual intercourse, returning to intercourse after kids or, or childbirth, intercourse when you're in menopause. But pain is a sign that something's not working optimally. And so I really encourage folks to tune into that. I think sometimes we often feel like, oh, I'll just kind of grin and bear with it or it'll go away on its own. But it's really a signal that like, hey, something's not working well and I need to get it addressed. And it can often be your pelvic floor muscles that are contributing to that pain. Okay. I, I want to go back to pooping because <laughs> you like talking Happy about to. it. <laughs> so I had someone ask me one time, she's like, okay, I know this sounds like a weird question. I'm sure everybody starts their questions too like that. Like, I know this sounds like a weird question, but I feel like every, ever since I had babies, I feel like I can't wipe clean. So I feel like I'm, I wipe as much as I can and it's still not quite fully clean. Is this, okay, talk to us about that. What's going on here? So there could be a couple of things. I always talk about, you know, our pelvic floor muscles like, or any other muscle in our body, they can either be too tense and they're not relaxing well, or they can be weak and they're not giving us enough support or kind of closure of those sphincters. So in the case where somebody's not wiping well, and this is actually really common postpartum, again, people don't talk about it. It's called fecal staining, Mm. is that one, you're not emptying well. So when you sit down to poop, it's almost like you want to unkink the hose and everything kind of comes out, right? If your muscles aren't relaxing well, you may have a little bit of residual left in there that you feel like you can't get out. This can happen with straining. It can happen with aging. It can happen if you've had a perineal tear and episiotomy and that sphincter just isn't closing as well. So it really means like there could be something going on and I would totally work with a pelvic floor PT. Try a couple of the tips like, you know, staying hydrated, using the squatty potty, seeing if that helps. But then I would check in with someone to say like, hey, what's going on here? Is there anything I can do to help, you know, fix this? 
Okay. I love that. Great, great advice. Let's go to the painful side of the spectrum. Now you mentioned that what are some of the most common reasons why someone might get pain with intercourse? Right. That's probably one of the most common complaints that we get. And you can have pelvic floor muscle tension. So again, we talked about muscles either being weak or too tense. So pelvic floor tension can cause like pain with sitting, tailbone pain, Mm. difficulty emptying your bladder, difficulty emptying your bowels. But often people come to us when they have pain with intercourse, and that's typically associated with pelvic floor tension. So you can have tension if you just have tight muscles. This could be like I get really tight muscles in my neck and shoulders and I get migraine headaches. It's kind of the same thing in your pelvic floor. Those muscles just hold on to tension for it could be from stress, it could be from posture, it could be from prolonged sitting, it could be from trauma. And the way that it shows up in our bodies is difficulty with intercourse. Um, you could also have pain with intercourse due to scar tissue. So if you've had, you know, given birth vaginally and you had a perineal tear and or an episiotomy, you may have some scar tissue in the area. And scar tissue doesn't relax the way that our, you know, kind of normal tissue does. So it can feel tight. Um, like you're tearing, and even a cesarean scar on your abdomen is so closely connected to your pelvic floor that can also cause pelvic floor tension or restriction. So kind of postpartum, those are some of the common things we see. And then vaginal dryness. Mm. If you're breastfeeding or lactating, if you're going through menopause, we often have, you know, low estrogen levels that contribute to vaginal dryness, and that can cause pain as well. So I would say those are some of the more common reasons. How can you tell the difference between whether or not it's just like vaginal dryness or more of a scar tissue issue or tension? It's a great question. So I usually say like, I encourage people to use lubricant. So a water soluble lubricant, if it's vaginal dryness by itself, that will typically help. It'll decrease friction, increase pleasure. And it will be like, oh, okay, that, that helped a ton. Now it feels great. Scar tissue will usually feel like pain at the opening. Mm. So it's with initial insertion, it feels like, oh, I just, it's like they're hitting a wall or something's, you know, kind of really sensitive at the opening. Pain with deeper insertion can often be muscle tension. So that can feel like something's tender or bruisey or like your partner's hitting something. So again, there's sometimes it's, a, it's all of those three things together. But in my head, as I think through what, when people are telling me stuff, those are usually kind of the areas I like to address. That's pretty clear to me. I mean, I think that's super helpful. It helps to break it down a little bit. And yeah, I love that. Well, what are some of the common pelvic floor issues that are actually not normal? (laughs) You know, we were talking about a minute ago, like, oh, as moms, we have a tendency to just laugh it off. Like, oh yeah, yeah. We all pee our pants now. And, you know, so what are, what are the big things that are common, but we need to stop normalizing them. Great. Well, peeing your pants is one of them for sure. (laughs) So, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a fine line because I do think that it's great for us to talk about these things and it's great for us to be open and laugh about them. But I also feel that what happens is we end up dismissing them. And I think that those are two different things. I think I always say we want to normalize the conversation. We don't want to normalize the problem. And so urinary leakage with coughing, sneezing, laughing, exercise, um, jumping in a bounce house on a trampoline, you know, running, those are all signs that your muscles are not supporting your bladder the way that we'd want them to, and they probably need some help. And so that's where I would, you know, work on a strengthening program or check in with the pelvic floor PT, or you may even have tension and weakness. And sometimes we have to release the tension before we start strengthening. So urinary leakage is one of them. Another one is, um, it's actually 
related to the pelvic floor, but it's your abdominal wall. So there's a condition called diastasis recti, which is like a separation of your ab muscles. And it almost looks like when you kind of do a crunch up, like there's like a dip in the middle or there's like a little cone or an alien in the middle. Um, that's actually sign of a pelvic floor or kind of pressure issue as well. So we often think that's just like, oh, I had babies and it, it looks like I'm still pregnant afterwards. And, you know, that's, again, we want to be able to talk about these things, but that's actually also something that's a signal to us as PTs, like, oh, that's something that we should actually work on because it's, you need your core to function well and, and be strong. Um, and then pooping issues like constipation or hemorrhoids, you know, those are other things that are common yet not normal. I love teaching people of what actually constitutes the core. You know, we have this like concept in our mind of like, oh, the core is like your abs. And I love teaching people like, actually the core is made up of a, a lot of muscles and couple of them happen to be your pelvic floor muscles and your diaphragm. Right. If, the, if those aren't like in coordination, then your core is not going to function well. So talk to us a little bit about the diaphragm and because so much of, I know like helping your muscles relax and release tension is so closely tied to our breath. So can you talk about that for just a minute? Absolutely. And that's so great that you brought that up because, you know, when we think about our core, I really describe it. It's like a can of Coke. Mm -hmm. And at the top of the can of Coke is your diaphragm and your diaphragm is a respiratory muscle that kind of elevates and, and, and rises. It kind of contracts and relaxes with breathing. Um, your pelvic floor is at the bottom of it. So like think of the base of the Coke can that supports your pelvic organs and holds in pee and poop, supports a growing fetus during pregnancy. And then you have your abdominals in the front, which we all think is our core, but again, it's the whole canister. And then we have our, our back muscles posteriorly or in the back. So that's really your whole core. It supports your skeleton, you know, it helps you move. And then, um, but your diaphragm works in synergy with your pelvic floor. So when you inhale, your pelvic floor relaxes. And when you exhale, your pelvic floor contracts. It's like a piston system. So inhaling it, you know, let's go, exhaling it contracts. And so when you are holding your breath, which so many of us do with tension throughout the day, I know if I'm in traffic or late getting my kids to school or waiting in the carpooling, like I find myself holding my breath and kind of, you know, tightening my chest and that contracts our pelvic floor. The same thing we think about if we are giving birth, if we're teaching our moms to hold their breath when they're giving birth, that means their pelvic floor is not really relaxing, which is what we want it to do. So that's one of the, kind of the biggest myths that I've been trying to kind of, you know, demystify and share is that when we're giving birth, we, the research shows that we should be breathing and not holding our breath. So when we're breathing, it allows our pelvic floor muscles to relax so baby can come on down versus a lot of hospital-based birth teaches, teaches moms to breathe, right. which isn't optimal for relaxation. So breath is key. It's the first thing we teach people when we see them for pelvic floor relaxation or even pelvic floor strengthening. So I'm reading between the lines here and it sounds like if you're a really stressed out individual, you might have pelvic floor issues because well, <laughs> you're you holding may, your breath. <laughs> right. You may have tension yeah. and it's not everybody. Again, like I hold my stress in my neck and my shoulders, right? Okay. That's, yeah. that's where I'm, but I mean, I tell people all the time, I'm like, check in, like, are you, we call them butt clenchers. I'm like, if you're mm -hmm. in that really stressful work meeting and you're on the edge of your desk chair, are you clenching your butt? If you're waiting in line in, you know, the carpool line, are you clenching your butt? If you, you know, 
even things like holding and pee, you know, nurses, teachers, they hold their pelvic floor tight because they can't get to the bathroom. You know, you're clenching and all of those things contribute to tension over time in your pelvic floor. So how can someone know if they need PT, if they need to go see someone like you, a pelvic floor therapist. Um, and then I'd love for you to describe what a session is like, because I think that if we can break down the fear, <laughs> I think right, a lot of people right. know they need it, but they are petrified. Understandably, it can feel very overwhelming. So I hope that we get to the point in healthcare where going to see a PT, a pelvic floor PT is like going to see a dentist. I'm like, I see a dentist twice a year for optimal hygiene. They give me things I need to do to work on. And then I keep up with them at home. I don't see why our pelvic floor is any less important or any different. So that aside, again, any issues with urination, bowel movements, pain, those are all reasons that I would check in with someone. If you are pregnant, I would proactively go work with a PT. We discuss a lot about how to modify exercise, how to, you know, if something's uncomfortable, hip pain, back pain, abdominal wall separation, how to work with those things during pregnancy to minimize them or help them feel better. And then also how to prepare for birth, whether you're having a vaginal birth, a cesarean birth, a vaginal birth after a cesarean, birthing multiples. You know, no one teaches us how to do this. I, I feel like I always say, you know, pregnancy and childbirth is like running a marathon for 10 months and then like a full-on sprint at the end. And we don't just go into those physical activities without training. So why aren't we helping moms train for this process to give them the best chances um, for, you know, optimal outcomes and, you know, postpartum recovery? So um, if you're pregnant, if you're postpartum, if you're experiencing anything that just doesn't feel right to you or is affecting your quality of life, I would check in with the PT. Well, and I think the awesome thing, you know, that dentist um, analogy we see a dentist on a regular basis, you know, right. it's like it's maintenance. And I think a lot of people have this idea of like, well, once I get my pelvic floor strong, like I'm, I'm done, you know, I'm like, I'm off, I'm good. I'm good to go. And I'll get people that come back to me like, Oh, I feel like, would it be, should I do this again? Like, is this something that I have to get? And it's like, it's a, it's a muscle. Like you stop right. training a muscle. It's going to get weak again. Right. Right. And especially with, you know, what we're asking it to do, if you're a runner, if you're a high intensity athlete, if you're a weightlifter, I mean, you're asking your muscles to do a lot more than maybe somebody who does yoga or doesn't have a regular exercise routine. Also with aging, our hormone levels change, which compromises our pelvic floor integrity. So we do have to do some work to help us stay healthy and strong. And I tell people this all the time, like I have a pelvic floor therapist. One of my coworkers, like, well, if I need something tuned up or I'm having an issue, I'm like, hey, can you work on me today? And I'll schedule a session with her. So I have a pelvic floor therapist and I'm so grateful that I know that there's a resource out there that can help me be proactive or train my pelvic floor. You know, even I had my babies five and seven years ago and I still feel like I'm in this quote unquote, postpartum recovery phase. Oh, for sure. I mean, we're postpartum forever, right? Forever. <laughs> forever. Forever. <laughs> yeah. It definitely feels that way. Yeah. Okay. What's a session like? Like what can we anticipate? So, you know, the first session is you're going to sit down with a therapist. They're typically 45 minutes to an hour long. It's one-on-one -on -one with a therapist in a private treatment room. And you'll come in and you'll say, hey, this is what I'm here for. And they'll ask you lots of questions. If you're there for painful sex, I'd still ask you about your bladder health, your bowel health, your childbirth history, what you do for work, what you do for exercise, kind of what your goals are. 
And then I'll do an external assessment. So I'll maybe check your abdominal wall for that abdominal separation. Maybe if you have any scar tissue in your abdominal wall, I'll take a look at that. Um, I'll look at your low back and your buttocks. Is there anything out of alignment? Is there any tension in the glutes? And then I step out and you undress from the waist down. So you kind of lie down on a comfortable, it's like a hospital um, plinth or a bed. It's not like an OBGYN table. It's not so scary, but it's like a little massage table. Sure. Yeah. And you lie down on your back and then you have a sheet that's covering your bottom, um, kind of draped over your lap. And then we pull the sheet back and we assess the pelvic floor externally. So this is kind of looking at the vaginal opening and we'll ask like, okay, do what you would consider a Kegel. So we watch, do the muscles kind of contract and lift up and then push your bear down like you're having a bomb movement or giving birth. So we just observe and watch the muscles. Are they relaxing the way that we'd want them to? And then we may take a gloved hand and kind of press externally around the muscles to see if there's any tenderness or tension. And then we'll insert a gloved lubricated finger, similar to an OBGYN exam, but Mm -hmm. a lot gentler. And then just ask you to squeeze around our finger to check your strength. And then we'll kind of press on the muscle to assess for tension, restriction, scar tissue, things like that. Um, And then we'll assess for weakness or prolapse. So the whole thing, you know, maybe takes 15, 20 minutes. If someone isn't comfortable with the internal portion of the assessment, we can totally skip it. There's so much information we can get just from external. And then we gradually work towards internal if that's comfortable for them. So there's, you know, it's, I think most people come in like, oh, that wasn't that bad, but it does feel really kind of scary and mystical about like what to expect. So I mean, I've done a couple YouTube videos to show, or I'm sorry, Instagram videos to show kind of, hey, this is what goes on. And I think it just really helps people know what to expect and give them some courage and some confidence about taking the step and seeing someone. Well, I think the only thing we have to like relate it to is like getting a pap smear. And right. I don't know what it is about that, but it always feels so like animalistic. (laughs) Have you seen the devices? They're like these big stainless steel silver things. And all you see is this, you hear this like clinking and slinking. And I'm like, what's going on down there? You know, I mean, it it feels barbaric. And I think the other thing is nobody's even telling you what they're doing during a gynecological exam. I mean, I feel like as a PT, I'm walking you step-by-step and asking for consent the entire time, like, okay, this is what we're doing next. Okay. This is why we're doing it. Okay. You're going to feel this pressure here and really helping you feel like you have some autonomy in the process. We're working at your pace versus like something's kind of just being done to you. I, I think it's really important to feel like people are passengers or not just passengers in the process, but they're the drivers of, you know, the experience. So good. Cause I mean, if anything, I, I just hope that the women listening can just like get over the fear <laughs> of what to anticipate and just hear like, this is not like a gyne- gynecological exam. This is not like a pap smear. This is easier. Right. It's a little better. Right. And there's two things I would say, like if you go through the experience and either one, you're not comfortable with it, like that's okay. We are there for when you're ready. I have people come and they're like, they don't come back. And I'm like, that just means it wasn't the right time for them or I'm not the right practitioner for them. So we're there when you're ready. You come when it's the right time for you. And also if I'm not the right practitioner for you, go see somebody else who may be like, I think another PT was like, oh, saying you tried pelvic floor PT and it didn't work is like 
saying you tried on a pair of pants and it didn't fit. So you just stopped wearing <laughs> pants. So you really have to find someone that is the right fit for you. A hundred percent. That's so good. Okay. I've got some really fun questions at the end, but before we get there, okay. I, I would love it if just in one or two minutes, you could break down how you teach people how to do a proper Kegel. Sure. Um, I go through this in my exercise program too, and there's some visuals that I use, but I think, you know, the most common cue that I tell people is to think about sucking up a smoothie with your vagina. <laughs> so, a Kegel is a contraction of your pelvic floor muscles and your pelvic floor muscles sit at the base of your pelvis, like a hammock or a basket. So when you're doing a Kegel, it's not just a squeeze, like you're not just tightening your butt or squeezing your thighs together. It's kind of a gentle squeeze and a lift of those muscles. So thinking about sucking up a smoothie with your vagina helps you kind of get that lift. I even tell them sometimes to take a mirror and kind of look when they're doing a Kegel contraction, do they see kind of a closing of the anal sphincter, a closing of the vagina and kind of lifting up of the pelvic floor. If they see nothing or they are actually pushing out, that's the opposite of what you would want to do. The other thing you can practice is when you're peeing, you can just, and you practice this one time, you don't do Kegels when you pee, but if you one time want to feel what a Kegel is like, you try to stop your urine stream. Mm. So that's a Kegel because it closes your urinary sphincter. So those are kind of some common ways to think about like a squeeze and a lift. And that's a pelvic floor contraction or a Kegel. So then the opposite of that, getting your muscles to relax, should that feel like a bulging? Like what should that sensation feel like? So I kind of described relaxation can just be with breath. So if you're just kind of doing some big rib opening breaths or belly breathing, that can help relax your pelvic floor. If you want to kind of bulge or really like open up your pelvic floor, it's almost like you're having a bowel movement. So I tell people to kind of exhale like they're blowing out birthday candles. So don't hold your breath. And then you push your pelvic floor out like you're trying to poop or like you're giving birth. And sometimes they even have them like put a hand kind of over the perineum, the area between the vaginal opening and the anal opening, like place your hand there. It can be over your clothes or it can be with a piece of toilet paper and just kind of think about pushing into that area. And that's kind of a full bulge or opening up of the pelvic floor. So that's what we want for bowel movements and for childbirth. Makes sense. I love it. Okay. You ready? We're going to do some rapid I'm, fire questions. I'm nervous, but I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like one sentence answers here. Okay. Super fun. And for those listening, I did not prep Sarah on this. So this will be fun. She did not. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's start with an easy one. Thongs. Yes or no. Yes. Okay. No issue there. Like it's okay. It's safe. It's, healthy. it's fine. I mean, unless you have an issue, I always recommend okay. cotton. So cotton okay. thongs. Um, cotton's more breathable, but if it's, as long as it's comfortable for you, it's fine. There's not a negative side effect of them unless you're already having pelvic floor issues. Got it. Okay. Squatty potties worth it. hundred <laughs> percent. Okay. What's a quick tip for Like if we're traveling, we don't have a squatty potty. I, um, two things you can take toilet paper rolls and kind of put them with the, um, like top side up Yeah. and then, but you can put your feet on them or you can use your suitcase. Okay. Those things are so dirty anyway, after going through the airport, oh, I know. feet on them yeah. <laughs> or a sideways trash can. That's always oh, a big one too. Yeah. yeah. Sideways trash can. Okay. Uh, your number one pooping tip. We just said it. Squatty okay. potty. Squatty I mean, potty. I have my kids use it. It's like that easy. Okay. I love it. All right. This is kind of similar. The hover method while peeing in a public restroom. Yes or no. 
No, um, unless there are special circumstances. Sure. Porta porta potties, a McDonald's in Manhattan, a state park, hover, fine. But most of the time in a public restroom, lay down toilet paper and just sit on the toilet paper and sit. And relax. And relax. Okay. Can having a strong pelvic floor make you a power pusher during labor and delivery? No. We actually want your pelvic floor muscles to relax during vaginal delivery. So it's great if it's strong, but it needs to function both ways. It needs to be able to relax and soften. I The uterus is actually the muscle that pushes the baby out and you kind of just want your pelvic floor muscles to get out of the way. So learning how to relax, bear down, and um, it doesn't matter if your pelvic floor muscles are strong or not. You want them to be able to release just as well as you want them to contract. Love it. Along those same lines, number one tip for preparing for delivery. I think that you can. Um, This is a tricky one. If you are able to afford it, I would say get a doula. Mm. The research is very clear that having a support person during birth, whether it's for a vaginal or cesarean birth, presents better birth outcomes, um, less likelihood of a cesarean birth, um, you know, better birth satisfaction. And I just think that we need support in those situations. We need an advocate because we're in such a vulnerable position. So if it's possible, I would get a doula and I would obviously also work with a pelvic floor PT and have someone teach you how to push and teach you how to Mm. recover. Like even things like how to pee or how to poop after birth, essential things we need to know, but nobody teaches us unless you see a PT. Yeah. What is something you see people doing or saying in regards to their pelvic floor that drives you nuts? It's still happening. There are so many physicians that just tell people to do Kegels. If they're peeing their (laughs) pants, if they're having prolapse after birth, like just do your Kegels. And I'm like, no, can we stop saying that? Like I was reading that in Cosmo magazine at 17. We need to change the narrative. Every muscle is different and every individual is different. So they need individualized care. So some people need to strengthen, but some people need to relax and lengthen their muscles. So it's not a blanket exercise for everyone. Love it. Okay. Last one. Where did you get your vulva costume? And are you ever embarrassed when you wear it out in public? (laughs) Um, So I actually, I would say four years ago when there were a lot of women's marches going on, I found it online at a (laughs) store in Brooklyn and it doesn't even, the store doesn't even exist anymore. So that's really sad because it's a gem. And my dream is to have hundreds of vulvas walking the street, (laughs) (laughs) but it's not going to happen. So, um, and I actually don't wear it out in public that much. Somebody did ask me, they're like, how do you wash it? I'm like, oh, I just put it on for like 10 minutes to film some videos or my kids kind of play in it every once in a while. They think <laughs> Your it's a hot- kids play. Mom, they what is this? <laughs> they think it's a hot dog bun. And so sometimes they'll come home from school. They're like, what's the bun doing? You know? And so I'm like, just filming some videos, buddy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I love that thing. It's just hilarious to me. And I think it just really makes this kind of more casual conversation. Again, I think we can you know, have really open, fun conversations about this and help empower women to get the help that they need. And if that just does that a little bit more by making it accessible or humorous, I love it. I love it too. It cracks me up every time I see it. And of course, like your head is like the clitoris. It's so funny. (laughs) Which it wasn't until that shower video you mentioned that I was like, my head is the clitoris. (laughs) Did you not know that before? (laughs) I just hadn't tied it together until I was like showing people how to rinse. I'm like, I guess this is, I am the clitoris, you know? So um, yeah, but it's a, it's a great little fun thing and I I'm lucky I have it. So it's great. 
keeping that legend of that, uh, costume store alive. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, let's break this down and make all of this just super, super simple. What is just one simple thing that the listeners can do today for their pelvic floor? I think tune in. I mean, I think as I just can speak only as a mom, as a working mom, as a woman, I feel like so often we kind of disconnect from parts of our body. Um, and when something's off, we just kind of brush it to the side and think like, oh, I'll deal with it later. I mean, kind of recognize like, how am I peeing? How often am I peeing? Do I have difficulty pooping? Is sex pleasurable or is it just tolerable and I'm kind of just dealing with it, you know? And so, um, or do I feel like I need something and I'm just not carving out the time for myself to give it to to myself. So um, I think tuning in is going to be the first thing and just kind of being like, hey, is there something going on? I need to get checked out. And even if you're not sure, just get checked out. I mean, I think I see people all the time that I'm like, actually, you're doing great. Like, just keep it up. Here's a couple tips and then check back in if you need anything. So I always say we only get one pelvic floor, take care of it. And, you know, I really hope that I'm just so appreciative of you having me on sharing this information with your community, because the more that we can really educate people that these, these resources exist, I think that we can just all have happier, healthier lives down the line. I love it. Well, we're so thankful to have you here today. Well, where can we go to learn more? Tell us more about your program that you have. Um, and how can we find out more from you? Absolutely. So um, I'm on Instagram as the vagina whisperer. It's the period vagina period whisperer. That's where I have kind of most of my content in my community. I have a TikTok at the vag whisperer, but um, TikTok doesn't like the word vagina. So I've got a little (laughs) bit more of a struggle there, but that's fine. We'll maybe get there. And then my um, website is thevagwhisper.com. And that's where I have, you know, my online education programs and fitness programs for pregnancy and postpartum. And I'm launching one on painful sex and pelvic retention just next month. Cool. So exciting. Well, I just know that everybody listening is is pulling a nugget of wisdom out of here. And this has just been so great. And we're going to keep watching you in your vulva costume. supporting you and gaining from your wisdom thank you for having me thank you Sarah